I'm Matt Fisher. I'm Ryan Whedon. We just got back from a wine run. Because we realized there's no wine in this apartment. Yeah, I dropped the ball. No wine, no ice, and we ran out of gin. I mean, I'm basically gnawing on my arm here. Just <laughs> trying to just suck the alcohol out of your bloodstream. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Before it reaches your liver. I'm sorry I'm getting blood everywhere. Hashtag not sorry. <laughs> what do you think about wine? Matt, tell me some of your thoughts. I would say that wine is my preferred drink for movie watching. Mm-hmm. I think it has the right alcohol content for movie watching. A cocktail might be a little too strong. You drink that, you know, you're done before the first act is over. And then suddenly you're like, what's going on? Beer, you're going to have to pee before the movie's over. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, you know. Wine's kind of in the middle there. Wine's kind of in the middle there. Wine, not that you can't sip on beer cocktail or something but to me it's more flavorful like you Mm -hmm. can appreciate the flavor more if i drink martini i I enjoy the flavor of martini but i don't know that doesn't seem like a friday night just need to put my feet up and and tune out from the world that seems like a a red wine sort of situation Mm -hmm. take your kalanapin and uh just Calgon, take me away. Lose your cares in the luxury of a Calgon bath. We might be showing our age discrepancy because I have never seen a Calgon commercial. And I, know- <laughs> I haven't either, but I know the <laughs> oh. phrase Calgon, take me away. Okay. That's like gay 103. Spoiler alert, I work in an office full of old gays. Mm. And one of them said, Calgon, take me away. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and they like acted it out for me. Like they reenacted a commercial for my viewing pleasure. <laughs> was it realistic? Did you buy it? Did you want to get the Calgon? I still don't know what Calgon is, but I do want it to take me away. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure either. It's like a thing you put in the bath. It's a bath supplement. Yeah, it's like lavender or something. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of lavender either. Yeah, me neither. Especially eating it. I don't mind the scent, but... Don't put it in my food. When is there lavender in food? People put it in food and drinks all the time now. It's a thing. I could see it in a cocktail. No, it's gross. Don't, don't, don't. No, the only thing that like I can't do is like almond. Like the scent of almond is such a turnoff for me. Like there's a Dr. Bronner's almond oh. soap and I hate it. Yeah, that sounds awful. And then there's all sorts of like almond hand lotions and things like that. I, uh, I can't do that. I can't mm-hmm. do the smell of it. How do you feel about amaretto? Uh, in my coffee, it's fine. Mm. Um, I mean, that's made from peach pits, so. Oh, okay. I think I've had like amaretto as like a shot before too, mm-hmm. but um, no, mostly like uh, was it Cafe Press here on the hill? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I asked for like an Irish coffee, and they gave me amaretto in my coffee. Oh, instead of Jameson. Yeah. Interesting. So. Is that the French, Irish? I guess. I don't know. I feel like they have Jameson there, so. Yeah, they must. Yeah, it's full bar. Cafe Press, if you'd like us to advertise <laughs> for you. Go to cafepress.com, put in the uh, promo code WAZOO uh, <laughs> for a surprising discount. <laughs> I wanted to mention earlier, uh, you said that you didn't know the Calgon thing because mm-hmm. you're young. I saw a tweet pretty recently from Cameron Esposito, noted lesbian comic, that she she posted a picture that was like, it has come to my attention that a lot of gays haven't seen this before, and so I'm posting it. And it was the Vanity Fair cover where Cindy Crawford, looking all femme and crazy, is shaving uh, Katie Lang. Do you remember this? <laughs> no. Oh my God, you should totally check it out. It was from the 90s, and I remember being a big stink because everyone was like, this is uncomfortable it's two women blah 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 but um god people get up in arms about stupid shit i know and i remember really liking it and thinking like yeah this is gonna make people pissed i off. mean this is really one of those things it's like they call us snowflakes and then they're getting all up in arms about like a woman shaving another woman's head like on a fucking magazine cover who cares that they're not even fucking reading yeah these conservatives are not reading Vanity Fair. We all know it. God. Even though their journalism is really good, and I think it has broad appeal. Go to uh, VanityFair.com. Put in the <laughs> promo code WAZOO for a surprising discount. Uh, wine. Are you a red or a white man? 
I mean, it depends on the season. But Actually, you're both because you're a ginger. Mm-hmm. I've got the red <laughs> hair and the pale, pasty skin of... <laughs> of an unsheathed green grape. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the season. I love... Uh... Oh, it doesn't depend on your mood. It depends on the season. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big white in winter man. I will do it once in a while. Oh, but... really? And I'm not a big red in summer. Are you rosé all day, or is there a season for that as well? I mean rosé all day. Okay. And uh, I'm I'm really big. I think maybe I haven't mentioned this in the podcast. I don't know. I really love a spritzer uh, in the summertime. Wow, really letting your hair down. Yeah, there. I came out a couple of years ago as a spritzer drinker, and I'm I'm a proud spritzer drinker. Is that harder or easier than coming out as a homosexual? Way harder. <laughs> God, gays are so judgy. And then you tell them that you put soda water in your wine, and they're like, oh. <laughs> Start fanning themselves, <laughs> just aghast. But fuck. I was gonna say I clutch my pearls and faint, and just <laughs> pick myself back up for the podcast. Th- thankfully, you have this fainting couch in here, right next to the toilet. And I'll even throw a couple ice cubes in there. Ice cubes, rosé, a little soda water. Oh, nothing better. God, it sounds so lame. And I feel like you called something stupid like funky juice. <laughs> <laughs> I call it what it is. A spritz. <laughs> I call it what it is. Heaven in a glass. <laughs> Give me a white wine spritzer. 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 That's me in the summer, like kind of every night. <laughs> you can drink them all night long and you're, you're like, you're just buzzed. You're not like sad, hydrated. It's great. I mean, when you reach our ripe old ages, you have to find that drink that you can just casually drink for hours on end yeah absolutely and sometimes it's weaker we we can't do shots of jaeger the way that we used to we tried for the pacific rim podcast i know it really hurt and yeah we were done when that podcast was over like we're going home (laughs) i have a confession to make okay i have also done red wine spritzers it's not as bad as you think throw some soda water and some ice cubes in there i think you'll be pleasantly surprised it's sort of like a non-fruity sangria you'll like it once you try it yeah that's what my first boyfriend said to me and uh you know he's dead now talk about a serious movie ryan (laughs) i don't think we've ever talked about a movie more serious than the one we're about to talk about today i don't either but it is capital s serious it's capital a art it's capital s serious that's all capital s sacrifice oh my god it's ass (laughs) (laughs) today's movie is Andre Tarkovsky's dour and super serious movie, Sacrifice. From 1986, I was one year old when this movie came out. Andre Tarkovsky has a limited filmography. He's only got like seven feature-length films. Mm. He wasn't super prolific. He this kinda... was his last movie. Yes. He, he died like months after it came out, it looks yes. like. Okay. And yeah, he just kind of like put a lot of thought and effort into like all his movies. Have you seen all seven? I have seen all seven of his movies, yes. Okay. Um, I'm not a big fan of all of his because, I mean, one of the reasons that I waited to, to do this one is because it's not a, like a Caesar's wife of art house. It's not above reproach. I like this movie a lot, a lot, a lot. But if you have criticisms of it, like, I feel like they're valid. But, like, this isn't a perfect film. This isn't, like... 2001 or something like that where like if you're like oh i give this movie a d minus i'm like you're just being an asshole yeah in in this case like if you don't like it like i'm i'm willing to meet you like halfway or like willing to like seed some common ground Mm -hmm. but it's one of those movies that kind of shocked me at how much i liked it the first time i saw it Mm. and i've been waiting to talk about it because i feel like it's a tough movie to talk about for sure for sure for sure i mean the opening credits is a solid five minutes of just credits over a painting yeah <laughs> like that's it five it's minutes. classical music over a painting by leonardo da vinci that's a it's a little bach 
JS variety buff oh, yeah. over some Renaissance artwork. And that's it. Like, count for five minutes. That's what it is. This could be, you know, we've talked about, um, I mean, just as recently as the Duke of Burgundy episode, a credit sequence plopping you into a movie. Mm-hmm. And th- that is exactly what happens here. Like, if you're not in the mood for a classical Renaissance painting with <laughs> classical music playing over it, you might want to watch something else. <laughs> and I think this was this was off pod, but I did say, like, this is a movie you got to be in a mood for. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't, like, getting home from work, throwing your shoes off, put something on to, like, take your mind off things. Like, you got to be in the mood for this movie. Yeah. So I really love the Roger Ebert review of this movie. Oh, okay. Mainly because there's two sentences that I felt were very uh, apt okay. in a lot of ways. One is, the movie is not easy to watch, and it is long to sit through. <laughs> And then the other one is um, Tarkovsky has obviously cut loose from any thought of entertaining the audience. (laughs) And uh, I think those are both pretty accurate descriptions of what's going on here. I mean, if you were to ask me what happens in this movie, I'd be like, nothing. (laughs) Like, nothing really happens. A house burns down at some point. Mm -hmm. But there are earlier Tarkovsky films that sort of stuff happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, Solaris is his most famous movie. Sure. And it's like a science fiction film. Like, they go into space in that movie. <laughs> this felt like a Bergman film in a lot of ways. Funny you should mention that. Because mm. in a lot of ways, it is like a Bergman movie. A, it's in Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's a dead giveaway. <laughs> Tarkovsky couldn't find funding in, you know, Soviet Russia. So he had to go elsewhere. I think he had to do. What that are they with... spending their rubles on? <laughs> uh, I think he had to do the same thing with his previous film too. Uh, I think Stalker. He had to like go to Germany to get it funded. Okay. So this one Swedish, just like Ingmar Bergman, and this was filmed, I guess, on an island very close to where Ingmar Bergman filmed some of his movies, like uh, Through a Glass Darkly. It's like in like the same sort of time zone i guess oh, okay and the same cinematographer i think too. sven nyquist yes yeah. he's done the cinematography for basically any bergman film that you've seen or heard of so it's like persona or others <laughs> <laughs> that's the only one that i can think of but anyway he did it he's done it for like like literally 10 bergman films okay like 10 popular bergman films but i'm gonna butcher his name but it's uh joseph Eckerland, the star of the movie okay has been in a number of bergman films as well and yeah it's got the interpersonal drama a la bergman that that he used to do quite a bit mm-hmm. or that bergman is famous for close-ups of faces and family drama and things like that so yeah in a lot of ways, yes, it is very akin, and I guess Tarkovsky like saw Bergman as sort of a, a kindred spirit. Okay, and Bergman was a big admirer of Tarkovsky as well. Felt that he was one of cinema's true voices. Tarkovsky, he didn't like to do anything that reminded him of other filmmakers. Okay, so if he was shooting a scene and he felt that it it reminded him of some other movie, he would find some other way to do it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I respect that. Mostly, I think it just ends up that all his movies kind of seem the same. Like, they all seem like a, uh, a Tarkovsky movie. They don't seem like someone else's movie. Yeah. So, the first time I watched this was with an ex-boyfriend, not you. We There's have this- more? <laughs> There's this long opening shot. It's like a 10-minute wonder. It's literally 10 minutes. It, oh, okay. It, it doesn't change scenes till uh, 1530. So, we have the opening credits, which is f- almost five minutes exactly. It's like five minutes and three seconds or something. Mm-hmm. And then the opening shot goes to 1530. That's like when the piss play starts in the Duke of Burgundy. <laughs> Almost to the T. <tea. laughs> and it was at that one when the camera finally cut them. My boyfriend was like, I have no idea what's going on. He's like, I have no idea what this movie's about. And like he went to bed after that. He's like, no, nah, not for me. I am on the same page as him at that moment, but I kind of didn't care. I was like, wow, that is an intense one I don't think I've seen one that long ever. I mean, with that much dialogue, especially. Yeah. I mean, it was all 
overdubbed, but it's still like because it's at a distance. You don't really get a, a view of anyone's face. Yeah, really. everyone's pretty far away. Yeah, but it's him planting a tree with a uh, little man, and his grandson, as we learn at some point. No, guy? it's his son. It's his son. Yeah, it's his son. Yeah. And then uh, the mailman comes and delivers a letter, and then they kind of bike together for a while, or walk together, bike together, and then he leaves. But it's that's kind of all that happens in the scene. Just a lot of talking, and it's also his birthday, Alexander's birthday, the main character. And right at the beginning, so they're they're putting this tree up, and it just looks basically like a branch, <laughs> like it's like a dead tree that they're like putting up near the beach, and. Alexander's talking about like the importance of ritual and he's talking about how some monk and his mentor planted a tree on a mountainside and that every day this monk had to go and water it and that after some period of time like it went full bloom overnight and so Alexander's talking about the importance of ritual that if you do one thing at the same time every day over a good span of time at some point the world will be different because of what you did at least in a small way. And then they start talking about other stuff once the mailman comes, you know, delivers a birthday card because it's Alexander's birthday. It's from some actors because then we learn that he was an actor. Yes, because uh, the card is signed the Richardians and the Idiots. Yeah, something and it's, like that. it's sort of an allusion to Richard III, the Shakespearean play, and the Idiots by Dostoevsky. And I guess in Sweden... That's what you did for fun. Boy, <laughs> they just seem like <laughs> barrel of monkeys over there in Sweden. I mean, man, I, so I don't know about you, but I was just crying with laughter <laughs> at that joke because it was real funny. So, uh, especially when he started explaining why it was funny. <laughs> oh, man. Just in tears. So uh, I saw you last Saturday. Uh-huh. We went out and uh, saw a show together. And I was telling you about how usually on the weekends I don't have any caffeine. Okay. But I was really dragging it. I was worried. I was like, Am I, I'm just not going to enjoy this thing unless like I'm awake for it. So I broke down and had some coffee. Mm-hmm. Well, so I watched this yesterday, Sunday. And I was like, no caffeine today. Like I took ibuprofen. <laughs> <laughs> you already know where I'm going with this. Because <laughs> I have a similar story. Go ahead. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm fine all day. I was like, okay, I might get a caffeine headache. So I take some like ibuprofen around like 7 p.m. I, you know, answer all my like work emails. I play with the dog to wear her out. I make myself like a good hearty meal, like baked rosemary chicken on like a bed of potatoes. Yum. Yeah. <laughs> You know, eat it, tincture up, get ready for this movie, you know, just pour sativa into my fresca, <laughs> down the can, settle in for the movie at like 8.30, and I'm asleep by 9. <laughs> <laughs> I have a similar story. <laughs> I sat down to watch this after we went out and hung out on, oh, after on the, Saturday? the theater thing. Yeah, and I was all prepared. I, I settled into the couch. I, you know, hit play and I was asleep 15 minutes in. <laughs> I took my first note as 10 minute wonder and then that's the last thing I took. <laughs> Fell asleep for a couple hours, woke up and was like, oh my God, I still have two and a half hours of this movie to watch. <laughs> so I had the same thing. Like I woke up two hours later. It was <laughs> like 11 o'clock. I was like, I have two and a half hours to go. <laughs> so I just went to sleep. Like I just went to bed. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I got two hours of sleep under my belt. I'll just go to sleep. So, so you didn't I, watch the rest of it? Yeah, I woke up at 5.30 this morning and watched the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, even though I told you, like, get your tincture ready, like, blah, 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 blah. This movie is much better over coffee. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I'll, you need to be awake and ready for it. Which I don't want to, like, give the impression that the movie's boring, at least not for me. Like, the movie's interesting, but it's so mellow. It's very slow-paced. And so, like, it lulls you almost. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, like, I can't help but, like, get relaxed while watching it. But, you know, I wasn't, like, antsy the way I was, say, in a rock and roll situation (laughs) where I was like, where's my phone? Like, I need to, like, get my mind (laughs) off of this. 
this almost has like the effect of pot where it's like i'm not thinking about the outside world mm-hmm. like i'm one of those people like i have trouble just like going to bed like i can't just like go to my room and go to sleep because okay. like outside thoughts like go into my mind and i actually like end up like getting more like filled with anxiety just trying to sleep than doing something else same here this like stopped me thinking from the outside world Mm. like this shut off the stream of of consciousness of like my day-to-day life so yes i did fall asleep like a half an hour into this movie at the same time though it's not necessarily because i was bored but it was because it kind of turned my mind off a little bit. Like I'm focused on what they're talking about and I'm like, I'm trying to just figure out what this movie's about and I'm not thinking about anything else. So in a way it just kind of slowed my mind down. It's making my mind take like the scenic route on things. It requires engagement in a way to go back to that Roger Ebert quote. Like this isn't an entertaining movie Mm -hmm. and it's unapologetically that way. Like, it's not here to, you know, song and dance you into enjoying it. He's making a statement, and he doesn't care if you watch it or not. Out of curiosity, did you read the whole Roger Ebert review? I did. Did he enjoy the film? Oh, yeah. It's a four-star review for Oh, is it really? Okay. Those two quote, pull quotes. No, I mean... I I, want to put those on the DVD (laughs) version of it, because this movie does not have entertainment value. Yeah. Like, I'm just, like, just straight up. Like, it's not a movie that you just put on with friends and be like oh my god oh, let's watch no. the sacrifice oh my god, you know no. like no you, you have to sit down you have to pay attention you have to do some work like yeah. it's not a turn off your brain movie and there's a place for that absolutely mm-hmm. as an audience member when i started watching this i wasn't in that zone i 10 minutes in realized like oh my god i am not ready for this and fell asleep for a couple hours woke up as soon as i woke up i was in the zone i was ready i'm like I'm refreshed. I know what I'm in for. I'm ready to like pay attention. And you just have to know that going in because through that lens, it is an interesting experience. I'm not going to say I fully liked this movie. I have kind of a mixed feeling on it. But yeah, once I was able to kind of meet it on its own terms, it was a much better experience. I feel more than most of the movies that we watch during this podcast, this is one that you have to meet on its own terms. Yeah. To... to use your words there because I feel Russian art has never been easy consumption. It puts a lot of onus on the audience to bring something to the table. And Tarkovsky is no different from those Dostoevsky or any of the great Russian Chekhov. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I agree with you there. And there's a, I mean, there's a reason why I only watch like a Tarkovsky film, like once every two years. It's an experience. I remember it and like I feel it, but it's not an everyday thing. Yeah. So, I mean, let's let's dive in. Yes. There's uh yeah, we we still have that beginning opener, oneer, huge 10-minute oneer, crazy. And then it's Alexander's birthday, little man can't talk cuz he had some throat operation. And everyone comes over for his party, which is seems so fucking dour. You're skipping over one thing that I actually think is very important to the okay, movie. Okay, go, go, go. They're still like out like in like the coastal area, like in like the like sparse woods there. And Alexander's sort of ruminating on how the modern machinations of mankind are just used for evil. It's like the moment that we have a scientific breakthrough, they figure out how to weaponize it Mm -hmm. and while he's doing this he realizes he's lost track of little man and little man comes and like jumps out and scares him and he hits little man and you you see little man with with a bloody nose after that okay and then it kind of fades and then we go back we're in the living room yeah we're in the living room dining room whatever it is and this is where I think it gets really interesting cinematically, like, or not, uh, uh cinematographically, <laughs> because how often do you see the floor in a movie? And the hardwood floor is like a very prominent part of the framing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like the way that all these shots are lined up, the, the floor has these like narrow lines, like, 
pointing towards the back. Like there's this perspective thing where, you know, the, the back of whatever room they're in is, is like, it has that narrow perspective shrinking it down. Okay. And the characters are in the foreground making like, you know, the back of the room look decidedly smaller than where they are up front. Okay. And I just kind of realized like, how often do you see the floor in a movie? Well, I, that might be a theme in this because there's also a scene, I'm going to jump ahead here, when he's riding the bike Mm. and then he falls and crashes on the bike and the horizon line is the top of the frame in that shot. And so literally all we're seeing is the ground and the winding road and him on the bike. And I sort of interpreted that as like, because we're seeing just the road, everybody walks a path in life and so maybe like showing the floor in the house is sort of a similar thing where it's like you're always walking a path okay see i i interpreted that this was tarkovsky really trying to emphasize a a theater like quality here he was trying to show almost like a stage like quality because this was hardwood floors that everyone was walking on and really in every scene you could see everyone's full body Mm -hmm. like you know head to toe like you would in a play and then just like the framing of it and like the blocking of the actors it was annoying at some points like when the postman is talking about his otherworldly experiences whatever Mm -hmm. like he'd like get an audience, he'd start telling the story, and then he'd walk away while he's talking, and the camera would follow him, and everyone had to like follow with him. And it's like, that's an interesting exercise from a blocking standpoint. No one would ever fucking do that IRL. Well, it, it, it's theatrical, but I also feel like it's like a living painting almost. Like You see a lot of these Renaissance paintings where you have like a whole cast of characters sure. in different gestures or different postures or different modes, and they're all supposed to be like like evoking like a different idea or emotion and in this instance like you would often see that it was like each of these characters were blocked and and like holding still maybe while one character was talking or doing an action but each of them would sort of be blocked the way that you would see in a renaissance painting almost yeah i found it annoying (laughs) it took me out Okay. It was like, it just felt unnatural. He did do like a lot of like lateral pans. Like someone would be talking and then like the camera would just scan to the right. Yeah. And like then other people would start talking once the camera had reached them and things like that. Yeah. And it's like, it just felt, it was stylishly interesting, but it didn't serve the story in any way. Specifically that scene with Otto where he's just like walking around that huge room we're, we're just like, it's forcing everyone else to follow him into frame for unknown reasons. It felt like he was walking away just to make the shot interesting. And that was frustrating for me. It looks great, though. It's a weird mix because, you know, I complain a lot about movies not being visually interesting enough. And this one is. It absolutely is. But I just I didn't feel like it served the story enough. I, I feel like it to it, justify it. I feel like it lives up a lot to like the every frame of painting sort of saying yeah because every scene is very picturesque yeah there's like weirdly like organized junk like there's that one scene where it's like pans over somebody's writing and there's like an egg there for reasons unknown but like it just looks right and beautiful somehow Mm -hmm. i don't know like and the colors really muted and i don't know it looks it looks right there's like a scene in a dream sequence when alexander has like a dream sequence that like he's like he like pulls like a scarf that has like coins in it like out of the mud yeah and there's like a scene where the camera is panning over like the mud and the leaves and like the Mm -hmm, dirt mm -hmm. and like this is really just garbage like it's leaves and it's mud and it's discarded clothing but it looks so good. Yeah. And, you know, it's in black and white, which is everybody's friend. And I, I do feel that if it was Tarkovsky's intention to make this sort of a cinematic living painting, mm-hmm. then he did achieve that goal. I'll agree with that. Okay. It is an odd visual style. Because, I mean, I can't think of many movies that look this way. Right, because it is like a play, and then like actors move to certain 
places and then almost pause for a minute like here is a painting i think wes anderson does this a lot and specifically in royal tenenbaums oh yeah it really feels like this is a painting i've composed but it, it 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 involves moving people and wes anderson does do that a lot where it's like you will see like a snippet of dialogue and then the camera will just like pan left and you'll yeah. get like another snippet of dialogue and then it'll pan back and it's almost as if the conversation didn't pause yeah but there's an entertainment value to what he's making mm-hmm. and this one definitely feels like i'm not interested in that i'm actually just interested in well i mean this definitely, i don't know telling my story well i was gonna say that uh this definitely has like the eastern european or nordic like overt fascination with death and like what does it all mean real fast there's like a announcement on the tv or radio i can't remember that like world war three has started and alexander is like i would give anything to make this go away including killing my child and he either has a dream where he does some stuff that makes it go away or actually goes and does something like he has to fuck maria basically is what comes up the servant girl and so it's like if you you can i guess you can interpret it either way can i either interpret it as like he is suddenly religious because it seems like his prayers were answered because at the very beginning during the the long wonder uh the postman asks him how's your relationship with god and he says non-existent yeah but he does pray when he like hears the jets flying over and thinks like oh god the world is ending and so he either suddenly has a religious moment or he's just crazy the whole time i guess we haven't gotten to the end yet but like he ends up burning his house down and all his possessions because he thinks that god has answered his prayers that that he has to sacrifice these things yeah that's the sacrifice he has to do in order to keep the peace essentially and i don't know man like i i just was like this guy's a nut job so uh two things on that uh one when they hear the announcement and his wife starts having that panic attack. Oh my God. Did you not like that scene? No. Because... I thought it was so beautifully shot. Like the way, like just the framing of how like they were restraining her versus how she was dressed like against like the, the backdrop of the hardwood floors, like the vertical lines in the hardwood floors along with like the dark brown tones and her white dress. I thought that was an amazing shot. It it sure it looks great and like the sound design is really uncomfortable with her screaming and she's a great actress. No, I'm free. Let my hands free. Thank you. My problem with it was that this is a very rich white person way to react to news like this because she's going nuts and having this problem. The servant girl isn't afforded this luxury of being able to lo- she has to fucking help that old lady onto the couch you mm-hmm. know like she's able to hold it together my problem with that was that we're asked to relate to her in this situation and i can't because it's like no but don't you think that's an accurate reaction from a uh, upper crust white lady is it i would say yeah well, then why should I care? <laughs> well, why not? Like, like it's not necessarily that you need to feel for her panic attack, but don't you feel that, that her panic attack is rooted in, in reality? Like, that's how this real-life character would react? I don't know, but even if it was, it makes me despise her. Oh, really? Yeah, because, like, keep it together, lady. So when Hawaii just like a couple months ago had that like bomb threat. They're like, say goodbye to your loved ones. There's a missile coming in. Like I imagine there are definitely some rich people who reacted that way, but you know what? I'll bet the majority of people were like, well, I'm going to get wasted or like, let's fuck before we die. You know, and that's the movie you want to see. Well, it just makes more (laughs) sense than like, like that kind of reaction makes me pissed. But, in a crisis, are you expecting people to act rationally? No. So she's acting emotionally here. Isn't mm. that how people would react? Uh, yeah, but I don't like her because of it. No one's asking you to like her. But... No, I think it's it's fine. It's totally realistic. But it's, <laughs> I, I didn't like that scene because it made me despise her. Okay. 
And later, when she's like, we need to wake up little man because this is a special day and he needs mm-hmm. to blah, blah, blah. And then she has that interaction with the maid again. Where, and the maid's like, I'm not no. fucking waking him up because this isn't... He, if he sleeps through this and nothing happens and you woke him up because blah, 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 you know, like... I don't know. I liked that scene because then the the mom in that, she kind of redeems herself because she's like, you're right. Please forgive me. And it's just like, women are better, you know? Like... <laughs> A man would never like if if somebody called them out and were like, "You're being a shithead." I'm not waking up this kid because blah blah blah. They would still be defensive and be like, "I oh, I say we're waking up this kid," you know. And like, I I did like that. Like I said, she kind of redeems herself, but it it just uh, that scene was frustrating for me. It made me it made me mad. Maybe I was just overwhelmed by it. Like I because I still the image of her having that panic attack. The way the lens captures the light and the way that there's like the lines in the hardwood floor sort of framing her and Otto, who's like holding her down. That scene is always like imprinted in my mind because it looks so good. I, I just think that it's so such a beautifully captured scene with such convincing performances in it that it kind of makes me just forget about, you know, class entitlement i guess but then like also that doctor turns into like a shitty we need to calm the women down guy and starts like he gives a bunch of like he gives her a sedative and then he gives a sedative to the daughter too even though she's like i'm fine yeah he's like no you're gonna need this yeah but then like all the guys are like i don't need this or like i'm just gonna have a drink instead so there's a couple things leading up to that that makes me think that it was sort of a commentary on sexism in this sort of class stratosphere because Alexander, when he's talking about acting, like why he gave it up, he's like, Oh, just like giving up my ego and like going into these roles just seemed weak and feminine to me. And like the wife says something was like, Oh, that's a bad thing. Yeah. She's like, Oh, it's, it's sinful because it's feminine. Yeah. I saw that too. Yeah. And when she starts having the panic attack, she starts going, why won't the men do something? Men say something. This is all your fault. Why don't you say something and stop it? It's like she's blaming the men for warfare. Like she knows that this is at its core a product of, to put it in modern terms, toxic masculinity. Okay. Her reaction is that this is men who can't put their differences aside. This is why we have war is because men can't like compromise or forget things or move past things. Those two scenes are fairly close together and I just can't help but feel that they're sort of connected that he gets called out on saying that that feminism and is equated with weakness and then when there's this threat of nuclear annihilation she starts blaming men for not being able to fix it or do something about it and it's the fact that those two scenes are so closely connected in the time frame of this movie makes me think that Tarkovsky is equating those things. That because men think that femininity is weakness, that aggression and masculinity must be strength. Regardless, Alexander has to go fuck Maria. And that was another problem for me where it was like he's sent on this hero's quest, basically. But he doesn't fuck her. Are you sure? Uh, yeah. They were levitating. They were. So there's two visual things that are really in every Tarkovsky movie. One is like indoor pools of water. So the hand washing scene? Hand washing. There was also like a pool of water in the house that was like dripping in the hallway earlier on. Okay. His hands Uh, were so dirty, by the way. Like he fell down once. Like seriously, guy. (laughs) The water was brown. It was disgusting. (laughs) Uh, But the other is uh, stuff levitating. Uh That's like in every Tarkovsky movie. Okay. But this goes into the greater thing because the contrast of the movie changes the next morning. Right. It's more color saturated. I think the whole thing was in his head. The whole sequence was sleeping with Maria? The whole sequence sleeping with Maria before that when he's like praying to God about, like, I'll give Little Man up for this. The announcement of the nuclear annihilation, because the timbre changes, like, right around, like, his birthday celebration. 
And I think it's supposed to suggest to the audience that like we're seeing things through his lens, not the real lens, because the cinematography in like the opening one and the cinematography after he wakes up the next morning are the same, but everything in between that is a different tinge. So after that one or when when he hits little man in the face, mm-hmm. he's talking about how worried he is about the machinations of modern society and how we weaponize science and breakthroughs. And I think that he had sort of a break and that what we're seeing is his break, that it's not necessarily that his wife had this like privileged breakdown or that they were actually under the threat of nuclear annihilation. I think he concocted that in his head and justified it to himself. See, it's still gross. Cause then like what he concocted as like a way to save the world is to go fuck the servant girl. Sure. And, uh, set his place on fire. Well, that, that part is real. Him setting his house on fire is real because that's in the the normal color contrast. Because he believes that he saved the world by fucking someone. He has to do a sacrifice, which is and that's why burning the ambulance is there. Like the am- ambulance shows up seemingly out of nowhere, and I believe that's because the family knew that he was having a breakdown. Yeah, you I. I see that, and I absolutely see. So, yeah, you can interpret it two ways. You can interpret it as someone who had a religious experience and felt the need to atone, or you can see it as, like, this guy fucked up, and he burned his house, and that's how I see it. I see it as a madman. But if you look at it my way, as if there's no nuclear annihilation, it's a guy who just got consumed by his own paranoia and burned his house down and then got sent to an asylum. If you look at the movie literally... They're still under the threat of annihilation. And this ambulance to take him to a mental hospital seemingly came out of nowhere. And he levitated with Maria. But he's still got brain problems because he burned his house down. He's got a lot of brain problems because he burned his house down. No one's denying that. Okay. Uh, As long as we're on that same page, I'm okay. But... A, the house burning down looked great. Like, you could see the bones of that house. That was another one-er. I don't know how long that one was, but it was like... And it, like, panned back and forth. Yeah, it, like, the the house starts burning. It goes away from the house for a while and shows him, like, running around being crazy. Pans back, and you're like, oh, my God, that house is really engulfed in flames. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that like, is impressive. Don't I, I, I liked that I mean, there's a, a point lot. where, like, the wind is blowing. Like, you can see the full frame of the house as it's burning down yeah it's an impressive shot for that sure. was take two yeah they built a whole house burned it down and there was no film in the camera huh. so they had to build a whole new house and then burn that one down for the second take i mean it's it's crawled all over again <laughs> but yeah watching it this time it really it 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 hammered in that alexander because of his paranoia about modern society that his sense of his place in the world could not reconcile itself to what the world had become and he just had a break okay and that the middle of the movie is how he reconciled his place in the world and it's a privileged white lady having a breakdown and it's him fucking his hot maid and it's him being the hero and in in actuality he's crazy yeah okay i i don't know i i struggle with movies where a straight white man is telling me what life is about are there anything other than that in sweden (laughs) i'm sure there's some gay people but like Sweden's not known for its ethnic diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's just, like, it's it's hard. I, I don't like it when movies say, like, I've got it all figured out, which is kind mm. of a, a feel I have from this movie of, like, it's, like, this is what life is, and I'm going to teach you about it. It feels like mansplaining in a lot of ways. And, like, some Bergman films are like that, too, where you're, like, okay, you know, shut up. I'll figure this out myself. And... Like Tree of Life was another good example of that, where it's like, I don't, and then, and then that's why I liked 
a good example of why I liked Upstream Color better than Tree of Life is because it's a similar style, but it's a much smaller story, and it's not s- claiming to have all the answers. Okay, Whereas, we just need like, to stop the podcast now. <laughs> Whereas I feel like this one kind of, this one and like that movie kind of are are a dude being like, I've figured it out. Here's the answer. Like, I'm not going to excuse sexism in like turn of the century Eastern European cultures. Like that, that I feel like that's already fairly well established. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of the reviews I read of this of like people I follow on Letterboxd kind of had like a similar reaction to it but for me i don't see it as like white men saying like i've got it figured out as it is like white men saying like this is how i feel i don't know how else to feel this is how i feel and in in this instance because it's like all about like what does it all mean it's not necessarily what does it all mean but it's like what happens when you're shaken out of your core like when you feel that the threat of annihilation is upon you, mm-hmm. how do you react in that situation? So I'm concerned less with like Alexander's, you know, I just have to sacrifice everything to save the world. And more just like, that's what his character thinks he needs to do. His character thinks he needs to be the hero. His character thinks he needs to kill his child to stop World War Three. Yes. It's and fucked up, man. It's wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, I- I'm less concerned that uh that's what he feels that he needs to do and more concerned that that is how he's thinking you know what i mean like instead of sympathizing with the character i'm looking at it like from a bird's eye view like objectively like oh this is what's going through his mind not like oh is he right or wrong i'm just thinking like oh this is how he's processing this okay i i guess that makes it hard for me to empathize then because like there's there's a lot of religious overtones that i just can't get on board with and i agree with you i believe he's making a true to him statement but it also sort of feels like being talked at i don't know it just makes it a little more difficult to penetrate when uh when it's so certain in his terms you know and here i was worried that we wouldn't have anything to talk about (laughs) I didn't, and I and I want to be clear that I didn't dislike the movie. I disliked the message. I think. Okay. Though. I mean, I mean that's fair. Like, like I said at the beginning of this, like this this isn't one of those like perfect art house movies. Like, I kind of chose it because of its imperfections. Mm-hmm. Like that, if we disagreed on it, like I'd be willing to meet you halfway because, like, I I understand that this is not a perfect art house movie. Yeah. I am glad. Even though I watched this at like 5 a.m. this morning. <laughs> I am glad that I rewatched it. It's definitely one that, that got better on rewatch. Like I took a lot more from it. This is absolutely a movie I would have watched a second time if I hadn't had to watch a certain. <laughs> if you didn't have to watch it the first time. <laughs> well, no. A certain movie that's in theaters right oh. now. <laughs> I would have watched this a second time. But I just didn't have time. Yeah, I don't know. Mixed feelings for me on this okay. one. Mixed feelings. <laughs> fun to think about and it's fun to it was good to watch this movie i mean you got to be careful now because now that i know that we've been able to successfully talk about this movie we got a lot more hard art coming your way bring it bring it that's what i love i want it to hurt a little bit (laughs) (laughs) save it for off pod (laughs) are you ready to hear about next week's title yeah we've got a real First on this podcast next week. Okay. We're not bringing in one guest. We're not bringing in two guests. We're bringing in three. <laughs> We're bringing in four And we're bringing back some repeat offenders here. We've got Kevin Clark from the Conversation Pieces podcast bringing his co-host Travis Vote and Bettina McKelvey as well as Emily. I think her last name is still Shahan. Please forgive me if it's not. Uh, from Toxic Shock to talk about Midnight Madness. What's that? It's a movie from the early 80s. 
where it's a scavenger hunt of sorts. It's a fun time movie. It's a romp. It's an 80s romp where kids in college go on teams and then they go on this crazy scavenger hunt through LA in the dark and it's to find like a treasure. It's it's like uh you know it's like the Goonies wild, for, wild, for wild, teen- wild world uh but for teenagers. Wild 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 world. What are you talking about? Isn't that isn't that the name of that movie? Wild Wild West? It's a wild 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 world. It's a mad 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 world. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> wow. Whew. Well, I'm sorry. We've Way had a glass of wine. <laughs> it's a wild, mad, wild, mad world <laughs> for teenagers. And you're going to like it. And if you don't, podcast over. <laughs> At episode 69. Oh, my God. Get that horn ready. Everyone's going to have fun. All right. Okay. Midnight. That's not a question. That is a demand. <laughs> madness. Midnight Madness. Oh my god, let's plug our junk. Follow us on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. Hashtag Wazoo for uh, you know, up close and personal tweets. We've also got a website. It's xratedmovies.com and guess what? It is banging. <laughs> You're just gonna wanna spend your whole afternoon there. Follow us on Facebook at rated X Movies best way to find out what's coming up next we love hearing from you guys in facebook land it's always a joy to see that notification pop up that someone posted something and uh email us at x.rated.movies at gmail.com join us next week for our 69th episode the sexiest episode with the gentlemen from the conversation pieces podcast and the ladies from toxic shock it's gonna be madness i'll be there I'll be there too. All right. See you next week. Goodbye.